The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you for being with us on another program. Here we are, Afternoons with Mike on this Friday been kind of a rainy couple of days. I'm so glad uh, the sun was poking out at least a little bit today, this morning. And it's great to have you along with us today across the Shepherd Radio Network. I have in the studio with me a young man that I met, and I say young, again, because most people are younger than I, and that works out well. Michael Thomas is founder of Essential Companion Services, LLC. And I met this guy last week at the chamber meeting. He had a booth there, and I had not heard of the Companion Services company here uh, up until that time. And it was intriguing. I got a brochure, and then uh, I loved it. I invited him to be part of the program. And voila, here he is. Welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I appreciate you calling me young, too. Yeah, (laughs) well, you look young, so that's the most important thing. Michael, I know that uh, in just chatting with you before we began this program, I found out you're part of a big family and uh, that you guys are all involved in ministry. So tell me a little bit about where it was that you grew up, and how it is that you got to Central Florida. Absolutely. Um, I was born in Orlando, Florida. Um, my, my parents are both pastors in a church in Orlando. Um, it's called El Bethel Temple. Mm-hmm. So um, I was blessed to be born into a family that talked about Jesus. And uh, that was my childhood growing up. My grandparents were church members, and they raised my parents. And then my parents raised us. So we have a couple of generations of of knowing God in our family. And um, in Orlando, Florida is where we live. It's a lot different now than when it was when I was a boy. I am Uh, sure that's true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you grew up, what, in the 60s, 70s? I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. Okay, yeah. See, uh, and that's where I've got you by a couple of decades there. So that's cool. So the 70s, you got to be here in the early years of Disney? I do. I do not remember the 70s. Well, much. Yeah. I, I was born in 74. Well, there you but. go. Yeah. So Disney was already here, but uh, but even still, or, or you're right, your earliest remembrances of Orlando would look a lot different than what the city looks like right now. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a huge growth uh, in the city. Yeah. And so the, the, your family's been in this area for a long time. Yeah. My family has been here and my family it consists of 10 children. My mom had 10 kids. Uh, so I have five, uh, four brothers and five sisters. Wow. Um, I am coming in at number four. You're number four. I'm number four. Yes. Wow. Now, you know, we don't see that as often in this day and age as what it was, let's say, a couple generations back. Large families are becoming kind of a, almost an oddity anymore. Like people look at that like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, they they would say, I don't have 10 people in my whole family network living in the same city that I'm living. And you've got them all in the same family. That's very, very, very true. Um, And it's such a blessing. Um, And as a kid, I guess I didn't feel that way because when you have, you know, so many brothers and sisters, you have to share everything. And, you know, 
including food and attention and your time with your mom and dad. Um, so I didn't appreciate it as much as I have as an adult. And I realized the blessing of having so many brothers and sisters. Uh, we're all pretty close by. Um, we have a, a few um, that are out of state. Mm-hmm. But for the majority, most of us are right here in Orlando, Florida, and uh, doing ministry right here. You know, it's tough to watch one of your uh, beloved family members move away. I know my son lives in Texas, and I get that. It's yeah. hard, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Um we all kind of went our certain paths once we got an adult and we went to college or to different places. Um, I, myself, I went to the military. So, um, we all have that experience of a brother or a sister leaving. And then mm-hmm. it's also great when we come back. Now, are they all coming back for Thanksgiving? Um, I think majority of them will be here for Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, between the both. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, we've all been together this year because my father was going through some some illness, and uh, we all were down here for a while. So. Mm. Is he doing better? He is doing better um, because God is good. It's yeah, been a miraculous right. recovery for oh, him. Oh, that's great. Now, Michael, uh, growing up in this, I am sure you've got story after story, and I yes. get it when you talk about food because... You know, when you got 10 kids grabbing for the the potato bowl or the fried chicken or whatever it is that you had that night, that can, you, you can, uh, uh, you have to fight for your share, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you learn to fight when you're young <laughs> in a family that big. Oh, that's great. Now, how are your siblings and even you, uh, is there a dream for a large family there? Well, actually, I have seven children of my own. Come on. So, uh, you know, I tried to catch mom and dad, uh, but I was not able. Yeah. But yeah, we, I have seven children of my own and that is considered large. That's very large. Yeah. We have four. I thought my four was large, but my goodness, that's, that's so great. Yes. Well, they did a wonderful thing. And if, if your family uh, siblings are like you, it's a blessed family when you guys get back together again. Oh, definitely a blessed family. Uh, we have so many memories of growing up and in the church. Uh, you know, when you grow up a, a pastor's kid, you're in the church every time the door yeah, opens that's up. that's right. You know, and I, I remember just being so aggravated with that as a child. Like, why do we always have to come to church? And, you know, I didn't want to be there all of the time because, you know, and when they opened up the church, we were there. That's right. Closed it. Whether we you wanted there. to be there or not, you're there. Absolutely. Because that was a rule always in, in our household. Uh, if you live there in that house, you're going to go to church. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I thank God for that now that I'm older yeah. and I've lived a little bit. It, it's really funny to see how the things that we did not like when we we're young, that as we get older, they become more precious. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. There's so many examples of that that I can think of because I think I'm just now getting to that age in adulthood where I'm reflecting and I'm noticing all of the things that have helped me to this point, you know, when I can think back. Yeah. Uh, How old were you and what was it like when you became more than just the son of a pastor? but the relationship with Jesus started to take on its own meaningful relationship in your heart. Well, I, I've been through so many different ups and downs. Um, I would say um, when I was very young, um, I had a relationship with Christ um, probably around 12 or 13 years of age. And of course um, that was my first 
you know, giving my life to Christ experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think me and a lot of my friends, preteens, we were away on a church trip uh, down in Bradenton, Florida. And uh, a lot of us, probably about 20 or 30 of us, all gave our life to the Lord. Like at a youth camp or something? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we used to go every summer. Our church would take the, the teen department and the youth department off for about a week. And so that was where um, I gave my life to Christ for the first time. And I say the first time because, you know, as a child, uh, that was over the summer. So mm-hmm. as soon as school started and we were back in school, you know, you get drawn away. Life, into, life returns uh, to normal absolutely, then. Absolutely. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. So that is when it began. That's when it began. Um, you know, I could say that it began at birth because like I said, I, when I came yeah. out of the womb, uh, I, there was praising God all around me. And I can remember back to being a, a, a toddler in, in, in like pre-K and standing up and quoting the 23rd Psalms and, you know, in front of, you know, all of the people. So um, I started off growing up in, in the knowledge of the Bible. Um, I gave my life to God when I was 12 or 13. Um, you know, I had some rocky years there where some backsliding occurred. And um, but when I came back to God again as an adult would be when it really got serious for me. OK, how many years ago now was that? Um, well, that would have been probably a little over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. I was, when I went to the, right before I was going off to the military, I remember a woman in my church coming up to me and, uh, she was very disturbed that I was going away to the army because, you know, she had, uh, been, uh, prompted by the Holy spirit to come and talk to me because she felt that everything that I had been taught as a child and that was in me was going to be stolen away when I got out mm. into the military. So I do remember the first couple of years of me being in the army, me going through a lot of what she warned me about mm-hmm. because for the first time I was around other, other people and other religions and other beliefs and, mm-hmm. and I, no beliefs, no beliefs. Exactly. Right. I was right. curious. Uh, I just remember calling my dad uh, many times from, from the road or from where I was at and just asking him, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about this, you know, the Muslims or tell me a little bit about, because I was now being, you know, affected by all yeah, of this. Sure. So I went through a rocky period uh, when I went first went into the military. Yeah. You know, that's not an uncommon thing. You know, that is tough. And sadly, a lot of people, a lot of young people will move away to college, go into the military, and they get lost and they stay lost. So uh, thankfully, those that God's got his hand on, like he has had on you, he's going to keep you in his hand, even though you may wander a bit. That's another that's another one of those things I look at in my life now. And I, I can see that God was with me all along. Right. Through every up yeah. and down that I went through, whether belief or, or not believing, he was he stayed right there with me and was guiding me. Would you say that you were one of the PKs that uh, kind of detested the fact that your dad was a pastor, or were you one that loved it all all your life? Um, I guess I wouldn't say that I loved it. Um, yeah, I would I would say that I would be one of the ones that that kind of had a little animosity toward right, me. And yeah. and a lot of it had to do with the fact that you know, it was hard for me to make friends. Uh my friends didn't really want to come over to my house a lot of the times because, you know, we weren't allowed to do the things that you probably could do in their homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was it that drew you to military? 
Um, so a few things. Um, you know, it's great that my grandfather was was a veteran, and I always looked up to him. So I always had some feeling of wanting to be a soldier. Um, but the the main thing would probably be when I was about seventeen years old. Uh, me and my dad sat down and had a talk because I was, you know, going through some ups and downs in school. And uh, he pretty much told me, listen, you have a couple of choices here. You can uh, go to a community college or you can go to the military, to the Army. It, but mm-hmm. one of the choices is you're not going to be staying here in this home. <laughs> <laughs> He's putting that out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So that pushed me towards the Army right there. All right. And what was that like? What's, I, I never experienced what you experienced by that. I'm, I appreciate all veterans. I want you to know. And here we are. We're just on the, uh, the, Friday, the Friday before uh, after Veterans Day. And we've all been talking about it. We've seen a lot on television. It's been in uh, maybe displays set up everywhere we drive. And it's rightfully so. An important observation. What was that like for you, that first, let's say, couple of months when you have now, you, you've gone through basic or you're going into basic? What was that like? Well, I'll take you back a little bit even before that. Um, you know, this was the early 90s. Um, I was in what they call the delayed entry program. So um, I signed up after that talk with my, with my father at 17 years old. Mm-hmm. So my entire senior year, we went and we trained every weekend. Um, just to prepare us so that when we went away to the military, we would have certain things. Yeah, you've um, got a little bit of experience. Exactly. And I thought that that was going to, you know, really help more than it actually did because there's nothing that can prepare you for, for boot camp. I bet. When yeah. you are uh, riding on that bus, and I remember so clearly when you're riding on that bus and it's it's three o'clock in the morning and everybody's pretty much sleeping and tired and and those doors open up and those drill sergeants come on there calling you out and yelling and screaming and getting you off the bus. And, and that's when you wake up and you realize, oh, what have I done? You're in the Army now. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So the first, needless to say, probably the first five or six weeks was full of regret and wondering did I make the right choice. I bet. It, it was a very hard thing to go through. Just one thing, being away from your family. And then uh, the psychological things that they put on you in the military, because you got to realize in order to make you a, a soldier, they have to break down who you are first mm-hmm. and build you up. So a lot of that breaking down is, you know, getting in your face, you know, yelling, uh, screaming, intimidation, intimidation tactics, mm-hmm. um, all of that. So a lot of people, uh, and I guess it's, it's a weeding out type of thing. A lot of people don't make it through that. But, uh, yeah, that was very difficult uh, to go through. Now, when you went through all of that, Michael, this was before all the stuff that's going on right now in the military and all of the inclusions about gender and all of that. What was that? Uh, what's that like for you to hear that now as a vet yourself? Yeah, I, I guess I don't really understand a lot of, of what's going on with it now. Um, like you said, when I went through, uh, this was before all of that. Now, I do have a, a younger son who has also went through the military. So I got to realize that a lot of things had changed just between. You've seen that through his eyes. Yeah, through his eyes. Um, Like just the, the simple fact that um, a lot of the soldiers now, they have a lot more leeway as far as um, being able to take a break or asking the, the drill sergeants to back off of them a little bit. 
you know, when they need space or when they need a psychological break. We we didn't have that. They didn't really care about uh, our psychological well-being when, when I went in. Mm-hmm. So, Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I think only time will tell. But I would have to say, because, of course, I'm from the older the older generation of that, that it would be a bad thing because I feel like um, a lot of that is what's wrong with a lot of society today. And a lot of young people today is that uh, they can't handle a a lot of pressure that's put on them by by people. So uh, they break down pretty easy sometimes. It's entitlement. And maybe, you know, just like you said, they're not tough. And a lot of them aren't, I'm not going to make a big brush, uh, broad brush statement and say they're all that way. I don't believe that. But sadly, uh, it's not uh, as it's not as the it used to be, and I don't think it's as quite as cohesive as it used to be. You're right, and you know what? That's with everything though that you look at nowadays. Yeah. It's not just the military. Um, it's with school. It's with everything. Um, uh, they've changed the 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 roles of a lot of uh things. Um nowadays now i know that you came at some point uh, into being a nurse and were you doing anything with that while you were in military at all was that idea in your head oh absolutely that's that's what got the idea in my head uh when i went in the military um i still remember uh my drill sergeant uh well not my drill sergeant my sergeant that recruited me Mm -hmm. into the military and we were sitting down going over my test scores and you know they show you all of the jobs that you were qualified to be able to do in the military. And uh, he looked at all of my jobs and he says, well, you do you like girls? And I was like, you know, of course, you know, I'm a 17 year old boy. Oh, of course. He was like, well, then you're going to want to be a medic, you know, because you'll be around all of the girls in the hospital. So I, well, there you go. That I was hurriedly a sick- signed up for that, you know, <laughs> To my great. to my surprise, it was not true. <laughs> I immediately was sent to a you know an infantry unit where I probably didn't see another. You'd been woman. bamboozled, man. <laughs> not, absolutely, I looked for him every time I came home on leave. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm going to beat that guy up, man. That's too funny. Michael Thomas is with me. He's the founder of Essential Companion Services, and he again is a vet combat medic and a nurse and he's got lots and lots of stories to share we're going to be hearing about how it was that essential companion came around when we return this is afternoons with mike and you're on the shepherd ec waters air conditioning and heat serves all your comfort needs with over 40 years experience ec waters is a top trained comfort specialist earning customers for life with integrity No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Michael Thomas is with me today. Michael leads Essential Companion Services. And it is uh, something that we're going to be hearing about, about all of what they do, 
I know they they help people in uh, many different directions. Included would be companion services, homemaker services, personal care, home health care, Alzheimer's care, and nursing services. Michael himself is a uh, trained nurse and a medic with lots of combat medic experience and you know, that is really great to be able to take all of what you've done in your lifetime, included in some of those uh, little trickeries that, that got you into this whole thing in the beginning. But then you realize, you know, that was all for a purpose. And you're actually going to take that and make a vocation out of it. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. So uh, tell me how it was that you came to form this company. Um, well, this company, uh, Essential Companion Services, uh, I came to form it by, of course, working as a nurse. And um, actually, my grandparents um, had gotten to an age where my mom had to do a lot of the care for them. And I began to look at the situation and see that, you know, at the time, my mom still had children of her own mm-hmm. and she still had a job, but she then had appointments for my grandparents then. She had to call off work or she had to make arrangements to go and take them to a doctor's appointment. And it began to be very evident to me that there is a need for someone to help in situations like that, because we all want to take care of our parents, but we may not have the time to always do everything that's needed. So um, I thought of this to step in the gap there and kind of help out where it was needed. What about health care? doing it every day. What about that do you think you've found that you love the most? I think what I love the most about healthcare is uh, a lot of times when you work in healthcare as a nurse or whatever your profession is, you are with people on probably the worst day of their life a lot of the times. So just the ability to be able to give people hope or even a smile during those times is Mm -hmm. what I get joy out of the most. Now, you described yourself to me during the break as a person that's not that much of a talker, uh, and yet you're in a profession where you encounter and interact with people all the time. Was that something that you had to overcome, or did you find that that just came kind of naturally to you as you went along? You know, I actually don't know whether I overcame it or not yet. Um, I, I'm assuming, <laughs> the jury is still out. Yeah, the jury's still out on that one. I, I think that I did because just by the fact of being um, a nurse, you have to be an advocate a lot of times for yeah. the patient between their go between the doctors and their family. So I am always have been that one that can explain what the doctor is saying. And then I can also explain to the family, you know, what the patient is going through. So just being in that profession itself has helped me to be able to speak out more and and talk. Now, we talked earlier just a moment ago about the changes that are apparent and the things that you see differently in the military now. That's also true in healthcare. The last couple of years have brought, well, going all the way back to 08 with uh, the Affordable Care Act going in, all of that uh, in early 2009. Uh, That's brought a lot of changes in healthcare, uh, absolutely, um, a lot of changes and a lot that aren't so good. Um, that's another reason why I went into opening up an agency of my own is because I've worked in a lot of healthcare facilities, nursing homes, and the quality of care is compromised now because of a lot of different politics that play a role mm. in in healthcare now, um, as well as with now after COVID. Um, you know, we have a lot of healthcare workers that quit 
you know, quit working in healthcare. Some were fired. Some were fired. Because um, they didn't get the vax. Absolutely. Some were fired for not getting the vaccine. Um, a lot of nurses that I worked with just, just didn't want to deal with it anymore after, you know, going through that. So we're in a stage now in healthcare where the prices have gone up to, to hire a caregiver is extremely expensive now because, mm. you know, they can ask for whatever they want and, and usually get it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's been a, a big change. And it's also been challenging for, for, uh, you know, a business that is trying to, you know, provide health care um, because, you know, everything has gone up. It's not just the housing market, everybody. Everything mm-hmm. has gone up. Everything has. The I cost know. of everything has gone up. What about the changes in like the pharmaceutical industry that, that affects you as a nurse? Do you see a, that kind of leveling off now after COVID or is, is would you say it's still in an uproar? Um, I, well, in, t- in my opinion, I would say that it is leveling off a bit. Okay. That's good. That's good news. You know, I know a lot of people right now, uh, we've made it through that COVID time. I think there were a lot of people wondered if we ever would, Yes, but it seems at least right now that people are pretty bent on making sure that we never get caught like that again. And I, I'm hoping that if, if something new like COVID uh, did comes onto the horizon. My prayer would be that we don't just uh, respond the way we did the last time. I think Americans yeah. learned a, a pretty tough lesson. Yeah, I do think that. I think that it ha- it has taught us a, um, a lot of lessons. I'll share one with you. It's kind of a lesson. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, well, COVID has kind of gotten people more aware of their surroundings and, you know, how they're feeling as far as, you know, being sick. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I called you yesterday actually mm-hmm. to maybe cancel this because mm-hmm. I felt like I might be coming down with a little, you know, a cold or something. That's something that I probably wouldn't have done 10 years ago. Right. Being more aware of the, that now and not wanting to spread any disease or catch any disease. Yeah. I think people are being more cautious now. I think they are. And yet I wonder about the efficacy of the masks and the way that all of that, I mean, let's face it. You know, we got so many different signals coming from the same mouths during that whole uh, escapade. It was crazy. Absolutely. And imagine being a nurse during during all of that, because, you know, I have my own beliefs, of course. And and, but, you know, you have to kind of be a nurse to whoever is in front of you. So there may be someone who believes in the vaccine and there may be somebody who doesn't believe in the vaccine. Maybe a, a patient that believes in masks and maybe one who doesn't. Yeah. And you have to kind of just cater to whoever you are, you know, caring for at that time. It certainly was a time where you had to be patient with people and, uh, you know, let a lot of these personal feelings go. But boy, again, I pray that we don't ever get back to that same place. Uh, I am too. Um, uh, sadly to say, you know, it's, it's a very high probability. That um, we will. Yeah, that we will. I mean, just working in the hospitals now, you know, we still have COVID here. We mm-hmm. still oh, have, sure. Yeah, we still have high numbers. We had COVID uh, before we had COVID. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, to one in one degree, we did. Yeah, I think that uh, that's another thing that the government is even uh, doing now is maybe not reporting everything like they were before because, you know, of the public, yeah, you know, hysteria. So in the middle of all of this, you formed this company and obviously you're meeting a need that was there then, but it's still there now. 
What about what you're doing with Essential Companion Services? Do you find the most fulfilling, the most enjoyable? Um, well, of course, I love helping people. I love helping others. And um, it's no um, it's no surprise, but there is many companies like mine. They're, they're called home health agencies. So it's been around for a while. The difference with uh, Essential Companion Services is that uh, we've dedicated our company as a ministry. And so we really believe in showing the love and the care that Jesus Christ showed, um, you know, to us. So that's one of our main missions. Mm -hmm. And I think that I get the most joy out of when I hear my clients or I hear people tell me, wow, you know, nobody else would have done this for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think about, you know, well, there's somebody that did something for us all that, you know, one else would have done too. So I like that comparison and I like to show the families and the patients that we have that, you know, there, there are people here that do care genuinely about their well-being. There's no doubt in my mind that a person that is a believer in Jesus versus one who's not and yet is in the same healthcare uh, industry together, it just seems very common to me to think that a person that's a believer is going to extend more mercy and grace and have a lot more empathy just naturally. Am I wrong on that? No, no, I think you're dead on on that one. Um, and at least that's how it should be, um, yeah. you know, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, because, you know, that's one of the things that we we put in, in all of our brochures is, you know, we have uh, one of our scriptures that we love, you know, is comes from 1 John 1 through 7, where it tells us, you know, beloved, let us love one another. For love mm-hmm. is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Um, so we like to show the love, and that's one way that we can do that is by our care. Yeah. So whether you're in healthcare or not, that's one of the things the Bible says that we will be known by regardless of our vocation. We should be known by that kind of love. Absolutely. Uh, we should be. And it's so uh, in the medical field that I've worked in, you know, I've worked in all of the hospital systems here. Um, the big ones, um, and you get to see a lot of healthcare practitioners react uh, in a way that's not the way you should be because of you know personal feelings. So when you have that, uh, when you have that relationship with Christ, and it does go a long way with helping you be a caregiver the way that you should be. Hmm. Now, what about healthcare? Do you find the most challenge about what would that be? Well, there are a lot of challenging things in healthcare. Um, I guess, you know, probably the most challenging would be um, families of, of the clients, of, of the patients. Um, they're always a little challenging to deal with because everybody wants the best for their loved one. Mm-hmm, sure. So a lot of times you have a defense mechanism or you have, uh, you know, your, you know, ideas of healthcare already and you believe, uh, that they aren't. I'll, I'll tell you one one story. Um, I worked for a few years as a hospice nurse, and uh, which was a very humbling experience for Ooh, me. That's got to be tough. Uh, yeah, I, I I loved it. I loved the ministry of it, but it was very hard a lot of times dealing with the families in a way because they have this distrust in what you're doing and some of the medications you're giving, mm-hmm. and and you know they they think that you're actually healing the patient, you know, by doing certain things. So 
it was a great way for me to kind of refine my ministry and to be able to talk to these families and to be able to show them and teach them and uh, express to them the love and care that you actually have to have working as a hospice nurse. Um, I can't even imagine what that's like because you're seeing death really right before your eyes day in and day out. Absolutely. But I'll tell you one joy that I got from it was um, when you're in that time with a patient and the family is probably the most vulnerable you're going to be with someone. And I really got to share Jesus with a lot of people because everybody's willing to talk at that point in time. Usually, you know, when my dad passed back in 2015, he was under hospice, I, I guess from about March of that year till he passed in July. And the people that served him, especially this one particular uh, hospice, uh, kind of like a chaplain, it wasn't he wasn't even a nurse. So he was just one of the people that would go out and sit with them. Although the nurses were amazing as well. But this guy, he was like a, a, a chaplain that would come out that was part of hospice. And he, he became a favorite moment for my dad. And so much so that when we did the funeral, I invited him to share a brief eulogy of, of his time with my dad. And he was so blessed that we asked him to do that because he was part of the family at that point. Yeah. We, and I, you know, a shout out to all the hospice nurses and workers. Uh, it is truly a calling um, to do that. Um, you get to see so many things working in hospice. Yeah, uh, I agree. Especially one of the things that I saw the most is just, you know, that God is real because you have these, these, these patients that are near death. And a lot of times they are seeing things and, and coming back and talking to you and you know, you know, that that's, that's God calling them. And uh, just some of the experiences that are so supernatural, you know, that's what you have to uh, be ready for if you're going to do what you do because of the fact that you're helping people, like you said, in one of their most vulnerable times, perhaps one of their most difficult experience times in their lifetime. And that's where you are. And uh, in our next segment, I'm going to be asking you about what you do with Alzheimer's and uh, memory care because that too is like its own little category that is becoming shockingly much more apparent. It seems to be much more frequent in this generation than what we've known in previous ones, but uh, that's pretty great. How can people find out more about Essential Companion? Uh, Well, you can find a lot more about us on our website, um, which is the same as our name, www.essentialcompanionservices.com. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram under Essential Companion Services. So now that list of your services that you provide, companion, again, we're going to talk about Alzheimer's in a moment, homemaker, personal care, home health care, and nursing services. Nursing services would employ what kind of things on a daily basis? What's involved in that? Well, with nursing services, that would be, um, you need the services of either an LPN or an RN um, to provide either wound care medication administration, um, all of the duties that a nurse would provide in a hospital setting or mm-hmm. in a, a nursing home setting, they would provide those for you in your home. Okay. Um, so we have some patients that are on tube feeds or they need, you know, they have a trach and they need that to be, you know, managed 
that wow. yeah. professional nurse would have to do that. Now, I know you told me again early before we started the program that you've spent time as a phlebotomist, I think is the right word. Is yes. that correct? Yep, that is correct. So you drew blood. Yeah, for seven years, I was a phlebotomist in, in the hospital uh, where I drew blood, um, and that was all that I did. I became very good at, at finding veins. Wow, man. <laughs> Striking gold. That's right. I, I still do it now when I see people. I just look at their veins. And oh, I'm my like, goodness. Oh, I, I bet I could hit that. <laughs> I like that. I like the sense of competition that I'm hearing in your voice right there, my man. <laughs> Michael Thomas is my guest today. Michael is the lead. He's the founder of Essential Companion Services. He's a, a veteran combat medic and nurse. By the way, where did you, did you get employed overseas? Um, I did get um, deployed a lot of places uh, that I really can't mention at the Ooh, time. Oh, okay. But uh, yes. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was a very good experience. Well, that's good. Glad to know that, and uh, I'm glad that you're not going to tell me because I know you'd have to kill me then if you if you did. So, whew, glad I stopped that one short. Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, Michael Thomas and I will be back in a moment. This is afternoons with Mike, and you're on the Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Such a fun time today with my guest, Michael Thomas. Michael's the founder of Essential Companion Services. It's based out of Orlando. They do so many things. He himself, a veteran uh, in, in really every way, both in the military, yes, but also a veteran in healthcare. And he's done this for a number of years under, as anyone who's in the military would, who's a medic. I'm sure you've seen some sites that you just wish you hadn't seen, kind of sites that you can never unsee. I'm sure that's happened to you, yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, I can't. You know, one of the my hat, my hat always goes off to those uh, workers, uh, medics who, uh, who arrive at an accident scene, like a car crash. The things they see, and I'm sure you've seen your share of uh, that kind of tough situation. But that, uh, how do you find yourself dealing with the aftermath of such a scene as I know you've seen? Um, well, it's kind of become second nature to me now. Um, so dealing with it, the aftermath, you know, it's great to have a foundation in the Lord uh, because I can always pray and I can always take everything That's to good. him yeah. uh, to help. Um, but it is very uh, traumatic, some of the things that people, I don't know how you can do a job like this where you're saving lives and not have God in your life. I agree completely. I don't know how you can make it um, because is the things that you see sometimes is not what normal people see. Yeah. Uh, just working. I worked as a paramedic before and I got to tell you, there you go. Oh my goodness. That was an experience where every day you are right in the middle of the worst day of somebody's life. Right. Uh, so, you know, a paramedic or a person working in ER, those are two opportunities right there for you to see some what has to be some of the most awful conditions Absolutely. that that is in our lives. 
absolutely. Uh, some of those conditions are actually what brought me to wanting to be a nurse and make a career because as a young guy in the, in the military, I think when I saved my first life was when I realized this is what I want to do. Oh, that's great. What a great story. I mean, you just said a whole story in that one <laughs> sentence right there. As yeah. much of a story as I can tell. Yeah, yes. that's for sure. Well, we talked about this in the last segment. I want to get into it because we went through in my family uh, a, a, a real season of dealing with a beloved family member who became uh, really stricken with uh, dementia and memory issues. And it's, it's when this happens, I know Alzheimer's is... Is I've heard it's difficult to diagnose that, but yes. uh, w- without a doubt, it's in the league of the worst cases of dementia. What is what do you think is it that's causing this to be so prevalent in today's world? Well, you know that's that's a good question, and I'm not sure as to what is causing it. Um, as far as um the the Alzheimer's and the dementia. You know, the only thing that I could could think of is it's just like everything else. You know, there's an increase in in cancers and there's an increase in of a lot of diseases nowadays. And I don't know whether it's the food that mm-hmm. we eat. Yeah, I wondered or, the same. You know, or the medications that we take because you know we have to be careful about the pharmaceuticals as well. Um, but there's definitely things going on differently that's causing us to react. And and you know, Alzheimer's dementia is such a terrible terrible disease Uh, it it is basically especially when it's to the point where you don't know your loved ones anymore right right Uh, that's something that's very hard for someone to go through and it's something that we work with people a lot um as far as helping them understand you know just what the patient needs during that time Mm -hmm. so it takes great patience i'm sure for you when you're asked the same question over and over Again, because that's what happens in these things. Absolutely. Um, You're asked the same question over and over again. But, uh, you know, that's one thing that we train as as nurses or as healthcare workers. Um, There's a lot of training in Alzheimer's dementia because you have to be a certain way with these patients. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, a lot of times they have, you know, fantasy ideas or, you know, they're, they're talking about the past a lot and not realizing where they are in the present. And you can't just snap them out and pull them out of that, or you can't get angry with them and you can't, you know, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of go along with the flow and and kind of ease them back into, you know, normal life where we are. Mm -hmm. And just seeing it go from, you know, one day just having a little memory loss all the way to the point where you don't know where you are anymore or who, who's your family members are is, is devastating. What's the fastest uh, degradation that you've seen with a person that had, let's say, either extreme dementia or Alzheimer's from the moment that they were first displaying things to when they passed? Um, actually, I will probably say, I, I can't say the fastest because one thing about it is it seems to me, and this is just in my experience, a lot of times when you have um, Alzheimer's or dementia, a lot of times, uh, especially in hospice, they, they hang on a mm-hmm. little bit longer. And I think it has something to do with really not being aware that, that they're dying. Um, so at least in the hospice experience, 
you know, those patients tend to last a little bit longer than the normal hospice patient. But um, in, in working in nursing homes and things like that, um, probably I would say six months to a mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. Uh, would be like the quickest that I've seen uh, uh, about six months. Yeah. And some people, uh, you know, I think the well-documented story of Glenn Campbell, and that was one of the most helpful things. And I would just put that out there. Any of you listening that uh, you've got a family member that might be exhibiting signs of dementia, a really good thing to do is to become aware. And there's so many great resources on YouTube about dementia, about Alzheimer's, that one can kind of get uh, educated a bit. But I watched that documentary on Glenn Campbell. There's a a great documentary that they allowed. One of the things that his family and his wife, Kim, decided that they were going to document this, not for them, but for the benefit of other people. Because Glenn was, he was an entertainer that I've I've loved since the 60s. And, you know, it was hard to watch him go down that trail. Yeah, you know, I actually got to see that the document you're speaking of because one of my my clients, actually, she's uh, an older lady and... She loves Glenn Campbell, and yeah. she had me sit and watch with her one day. And I have to agree with you um, about that. That's something that a lot of families should uh, really, really pay attention to uh, once you see the signs or you see, you know, some memory loss occurring or you see wandering occurring or someone, you mm-hmm. know, wandering off and not, not coming home or, you know, getting lost. It's time to now start doing some research and understanding what you're dealing with because it is very different than everything else that you're going to, you know, deal with medically. You know, one of the things that uh, I learned during that season when we were dealing with our own family member is uh, I talked to another friend who, like yourself, is in the business, and she talked and addressed to something that I found myself actually experiencing, and even though I wasn't quite prepared for it, that how a lot of people will will take offense and they'll actually maybe get a little irritated at stuff when you have to do the repetitive stuff over and over. And, and you're, you know, it's almost like you're wanting to shake that patient who's doing this and say like, you remember that, right? You remember. And that's the wrong thing to say. Absolutely, They don't remember they and do not. can't remember. Absolutely. You're correct. Um, and that, that goes the same way with, um, Sometimes uh, when they are telling you, you know, things that they think are factual, but it's not, you know, factual. Um, like we can tell them, you know, if they if they think it's 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 nighttime, but it's really day. That type of thing, you can, of course, you can show them. No, it's really three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, that type of thing is okay, but you really have to be patient. And you know what? Not just for the the healthcare workers, but families that are taking care of their mm-hmm. loved ones have a hard time understanding a lot of times and they get frustrated, especially if you're caring for this person all of the time, you may get a little burnout sometimes caregiver burnout. uh, That's big. Um, We teach a lot about that as well, because you have to make sure that if you are caring for someone that you take time for yourself. That's right. And and it's got to be mitigated on a daily basis because uh, you know, the, Sadly, some of this can go on. It can stretch into years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you really have to, you know, be patient. That was, I like that word that you use because that is probably the biggest, you know, what you're going to have to have is patience and you're going to have to have understanding. Mm -hmm. 
understanding for what they're going through. They're not doing it on purpose. Right. You know, one of the things that uh, essential does, I, I, I kind of had a little smile in my heart and my mind's eye as I thought about this uh, in your brochure, you talk about how that you will send these different nurses to homes of clients. And I thought, man, they're, they're into house calls. That's really what you're doing right there. And when I was a kid, I had a doctor, we had a family doctor that would actually back in the day, come to a person's home. Now, can you imagine a lot of people that are listening to us, the younger people that would be saying, what's a house call? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But you you do house calls. Absolutely. We do house calls. Um, A lot of people might be used to, especially since COVID, the, uh, the telephone, you know, calls from yeah, telemed, like, yeah, yeah. We do do home care visits and and home care, which is really important because uh, one of the reasons why I got into it is because you know we have a lot of people I call legacy adults, what I call our seniors, um, who have spent their entire life raising their family, mm-hmm. building their homes, and they don't want to leave their home, you know. So it's it's great to be able to send a nurse there so you don't have to go to the nursing home or so you don't have to go to, you know, see a doctor or go out. You know, you can stay there in the comfort of your home and we can take care of you. That's awesome. Well, man, I can't tell you how much fun I've had to hear your story. First of all, I want to say thank you for service that you did to our nation as a part of the Army. And, uh, you know, the years you spent doing that as a medic, and then now as a nurse, and then as a business owner, Essential Companion Services, LLC. That is the business name for Michael's uh, work. And they started out as a homemaker and companion agency, and they say, we'll never forget that. So really, people is at the very center of everything you do, the people and care for those people, right? Absolutely. That is the total equation right there. That's it. I I really appreciate hearing your stories too as a PK. And I think it's awesome. I think that you're, you tell your dad that I think he had a brilliant plan for, for growing churches and that's just having 10 kids. I mean, that's a great start to a congregation. I'll let him know. (laughs) It's a new type of church growth, my friends. I'm not sure a lot of pastors are going to want to jump into that one, but uh, I'm glad your, your dad did. Michael, give us the website one more time for people. Our website is www.essentialcompanionservices.com. There you go. Just spell out the name, Essential Companion Services. So glad I met you, my friend, and thank you for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a great honor. Well, that's uh, my pleasure. And friends, it's that time to say goodbye for another week. And we'll see you on Monday right here on Afternoons with Mike. Do have a, a safe weekend, and we'll see you then.